listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Sports Pharmacy Podcast. My name is Dr. H and I am your host. I am a wellness pharmacist, pharmacy owner, and certified sports nutritionist. Join me while we discuss a wide range of topics ranging from health and wellness, sports, and even some small business secrets. Feel free to join our Discord for more interactions with me and other fellow listeners. Now let's get into the show. Welcome sports pharmacy fans. This is Dr. H, your host. I have the pleasure of Dr. Alex Capano, PhD in cannabinoid studies, joining me. How are you, Alex? I'm great. Happy to be here. I'm so excited about this recording. And we were so quick with scheduling and getting things done that I'm super glad to have you here. Alex, you're a PhD in cannabinoid science studies. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I actually studied neuroscience and chem and then went back to school and became a family nurse practitioner, practiced for several years, and then felt like there was a little bit of a plateau with what I could do. So I wanted to go back, get a doctoral degree, and decided I wanted to study cannabis medicinally and legitimize it because it's come a long way since I had that idea. But I felt that if there weren't, you know, medical practitioners who were willing to study this, talk about it, destigmatize, then patients wouldn't have access, we wouldn't have research, and we wouldn't potentially have really great alternative therapeutic options to some of the dangerous things out there. And I was I was not someone who was going to shy away from the stigma of it. So there was a lot of worry at the time that if you leaned into this, you would be on the fringe. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I wanted to change that. Here we are. It was good timing. I finished in 2017. Okay. So right before the pandemic dice, man, I've had a soft spot in my heart for what I call opiate alternatives, because as our listeners know, I had a previous episode discussing a little bit my brush with friends of mine that have overdosed on opiates in the past and the addiction that comes with it. Now, as a pharmacist, by no means do I think that we should get rid of all opioid medications. There's still Mm -hmm. a large use of it, but I feel like there's a lot more that we could do to help control what comes from that. And this I agree. Is where the, There's a time and a place for opiates. There are. Of course. Yeah. You just don't use them responsibly and people are vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the one of the things, especially when it comes when we're talking about sports, is a lot of these athletes that are dealing with post post game pain or playing while they're in pain. And a lot of times they're getting a tortol shot and or any sort of other opiate medications that this could be a really good alternative to help manage their pain. I have a buddy of mine, or actually after this recording, we're going to go play golf. He tells me how much he's a retired NFL player and he's, he tells me how much he's in pain all the time. And oh. I try to, yeah. I don't doubt that for a second. And I've done meetings, events, and a few panels with professional athletes, NHL, NFL, NBA, and they are huge advocates of alternatives as well. And tell me stories about on the plane, on the way back from an away game that someone's just walking down the aisle, handing out opioids to manage the pain. And some who are leave the leagues, whether due to injury or their careers just over, and they have a really difficult time getting off of them, not to mention post-concussion syndrome and TBI and all of that. We need solutions and cannabinoids can meet some of those needs. 
So tell us a little bit about how do we overcome this negative stigma of using CBD and other cannabinoids? <sighs> Honestly, conversations like this, education, I wish I had a solution that was some sort of magic, magic spell that could change it. But the stigma is steeped in a century of political and financial baggage that, to be frank, really came out of racism and politics in the early 20th century and then was accelerated and exacerbated in the 60s during Vietnam to get people who protested the war put in jail. So this, it, it's fascinating and appalling, the history of it that was meant to marginalize people of color and also people who protested the Vietnam War. So it's been a carefully crafted, powerful campaign huh. that we all have been exposed to, whether we want to or not. And so it's going to take a lot of time to destigmatize that. And I think the only way to do it is to have honest conversations and really educate so people can be open-minded and one, understand where the stigma came from and how disgusting it is. And two, know the facts and the reality mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and have someone who's able to talk in a balanced way because I'm not going to tell you that there's absolutely no danger ever with it. That's not true. But on the spectrum of options we have, both from a recreational and a medicinal standpoint, this is very safe. Absolutely. And I'm not here to tell people to go out and get high and everything. There are obvious dangers when it comes to using cannabinoid. And for me specifically, I'm a firm believer of its use, especially medicinally. One of my research projects in pharmacy school was around cannabinoid use in Parkinson's patients. And oh, so I did that too. Oh, for real? Really nice. Cool, nice. Yeah. That's awesome. And I took a lot of courses around drugs of dependence. And I thought that was the career path that I wanted to do is I was going to work for the DEA. That's what I was pushing for. Then I realized that I just being told what to do and I opened my own pharmacy. So <laughs> oh, see, I knew we got along well. I see, I knew it. I knew it. So yeah, us being here in Texas, there's definitely a negative stigma that's mm -hmm. associated with it. I remember in 2018 when they released the farm bill, the whole CBD explosion that happened here was such a it was such a scary point for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And because of, like you said, I, I really did think about the whole deep root in, in the Vietnam War protests. I really didn't even know that. And before that, with actually the development of the DEA was all about reefer madness, fear and violence against Mexican immigrants and black Americans. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, it's, and th this is true. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This right, is right. In, conspiracy theory. This is factual. It's really what happened. And yeah. you can even see some of the posters that used to be out there. Did you ever see the movie Pineapple Express? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. The opening <laughs> scene of that, I guess they were, they had uh, Bill Hader, who's one of my favorite mm -hmm. actors, in the bunker and they were testing with it. And they immediately just had the whole scene. They just say, illegal, and just stamped mm -hmm. it as illegal just because he yeah. was talking back to the government. And that, that it ties into that, right? It yeah, it really does. Yeah, man, that's such a great movie. And before uh, before all of that, when this became an opportunity to gain political power, cannabis was actually in the U.S. pharmacopoeia. It was the most widely prescribed pain medications and one of the most widely prescribed medications in the U.S. Every American had it in their medicine cabinet. Yep. So it's really been this limited time that we haven't had access to it when you consider all of human history. 
let's dive in deeper into CBD because I okay. feel like that's what a lot of people would have said. That's something that we can address now. Hopefully in the future when they legalize marijuana, we'll have Alex back on if that ever happens. Do you see that happening for real? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. I do. Okay. I do. And just, I want to say it's funny about, you mentioned Texas. So I'm in Philadelphia mm-hmm. and I did a talk in Texas not long after the farm pill was passed and it was about three hours outside of Dallas and very small town and it was it was huge it was standing room only people came but also the sheriff came and there were multiple police officers nice and i remember before i went on i called our my boss our ceo and i said look if i'm if i get taken to jail you <laughs> are bailing me out tonight come get me right now especially yeah. but yeah. it actually went really well and i ended up talking to the officers and they were they, they had good questions they wanted to know how do we how do we know what's okay and what's not? And yeah. how do we do our jobs effectively? So they were, it was good. I it's, want them over by the end. It's always helpful when someone comes at you with a curious mindset rather than attack mm-hmm. mindset. And Alex, so just this is our first time talking, right? I've never, this is the first time meeting. And I can tell that I would feel comfortable with you telling me X, Y, and Z about CBD or cannabis, just based off of just okay. how you speak to me. I hope you feel that at the end of this. Too. Yeah, hopefully we'll see. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So first I want to make sure I shout out Chris Lee from Ananda for helping setting this up. Thank you, Chris. And then my boy, Josh Peristani, who helped introduce me to Chris. I appreciate y'all friends and helped me introduce my friend, Alex. Since you're from Philly, I have to ask a question that I didn't prepare you for. Where is the best Philly cheesesteak in Philly? Oh, um, I, <laughs> if you want like a traditional yeah. cheesesteak, that's Jim's, which actually just burned down, but it's coming back at okay, good. North and South. I really prefer this sort of new place called Woodrow's also on South Street, but people shouldn't miss John's Roast Pork. Okay. Okay. It is, I think it has a James Beard Award. Really? And it's this Dang. little shack near big box stores. It's fantastic. And the roast pork sandwich here is, it's a big deal next to the cheesesteaks. And they make a good cheesesteak too. So John's roast pork, Jim's, and then if you want something a little different, Woodrow's. A little edgy. Woodrow's. Okay. Yeah. So you mean to tell me that Subway does not have good cheesesteaks? Is that what you're telling me? Yes, I'm telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have a place here called Texadelphia. And it's actually, oh. their sandwiches are pretty good. They use the cheese whiz, which I know is a rule, but I thought it was pretty good. I've been to Philly many times and nothing will ever touch what I had there. And I think I had Jim's when I was there. I'm pretty Probably. sure. Yeah. Jim's is. That's like the popular one, right? Yeah. Pat's and Gino's are the iconic one, but Jim's oh, is you're in the know. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Buddy of mine's from Philly. So he was able to take me everywhere. So cool. that was pretty fun. So just broadly explain to our listeners the difference. So there's two different plants that we'll talk about. And one is the cannabis plant and one is the hemp plant. Kind of broadly tell us about the differences and which ones do they use to extract what? So Hamush, I'm going to make this a little simplified by making it a little more complicated first. Let's do it. And the reason is I'm going to say cannabis overall because that is technically correct. And the word marijuana is really out of vogue because of those reasons that I mentioned earlier and a lot of the oppression that came with that word. But I'm going to use it now just to differentiate because these are legal definitions. So a cannabis plant that has 0.3% Delta 9 THC or less by dried weight when it's harvested Mm -hmm. is considered a hemp plant. So Hmm. hemp plants are legal federally. They have low THC, so low amounts of the intoxicating compound, and therefore you can legally access them um, anywhere in the U.S. Now, a cannabis plant with 
a higher concentration of THC is considered marijuana. And colloquially, we use the word cannabis because of the stigma that follows marijuana, mm. but technically they're all cannabis. And you can even have a cannabis plant that is a hemp plant by legal definition at one point of its life cycle. And then it gets uh, a little too much, a little too high in the concentration of THC. And we call that go hot. Uh, go hot? Yeah, it goes hot. Nice. Okay. Plants go hot. Makes sense. And then it would be considered technically marijuana or cannabis if that's the language you're using. So it's really a legal definition. And that legal definition varies depending on where you are in the world. So other countries have different definitions. But in the US, a hemp plant is a cannabis plant that has low THC, 0.3% by weight, and it is federally legal. So anything derived from that plant is not under the purview of the DEA. You can't be penalized for it as a Schedule One. It's not a Schedule One. Okay, that's interesting. I, I really didn't know that it could, as, as it grew, it could become yeah. get hot, as you mm -hmm. said. That's pretty interesting. That's interesting. Now, I own a pharmacy here in Frisco, and we, beautiful new location. We just moved in, an office suite, built my own lab, have everything designed the way that I want. In the same parking lot across the way from me, CBD store just opened. And I think it's a chain. I've seen it around. I don't want to mention any names. So I'll just say they're across the street from me. And I, I see, I went in there to see some of their products just to take a look. I didn't know I was a pharmacist, didn't say anything. I just kind of looked around and their big push was around Delta 8 and Delta 9, the gummies and stuff that they want to offer. But for me, I know what I'm looking for. And a lot of patients that come to see me, they really don't have that same wherewithal. So how would you, as a PhD in cannabinoid studies, how would you vet CBD products for patients? One, I hope we can touch up for a minute on Delta 8 later, but can. Yeah. this is vetting the products. That's not something I learned in school because the industry didn't even exist at that point. But being in the industry for six years, I have learned quite a bit. And what we need to understand is that this remains an unregulated industry. And it's very rare that you see industry lobbying for regulation of themselves. That does not happen. But we, the people who are doing it right, really want regulation because we want the bad apples out there. And we also want to protect our consumers, our patients. So one, the easiest way, in my opinion, is go to a pharmacy. Pharmacists as a part of the medical team and practitioners have really captured and mastered CBD better than anyone else. I think that your local pharmacist, not in a huge chain. Small business, right? Yeah. Small business pharmacy. It's the truth. Yeah. They are the ones who are the most educated by far. And that happens anytime I go and speak at a conference, the pharmacists are the ones who have already done the work, who often come, who carry the products. And these are professionals. These are folks who are licensed, they are going to vet what is in their store and help you use it safely and effectively. So if you want to cut out the work for yourself, just go to a pharmacy, like yeah. your local pharmacy who carries it, that's who you can trust is going to find the product. But if you don't have access to that, then you have to do a little bit of work. One is to find a company that provides what's called a certificate of analysis. That means it goes through a lab, it gets checked for not only potency, so is there as much in the bottle as it says, but also purity. This is really easy to contaminate these products, very easy. So you want a comprehensive certificate of analysis, COA. You want to make sure that COA is 
performed by a legitimate lab. So sometimes good you point. Very good hire point. a lab and they'll, yep. they'll give yep. you whatever answer you want. So you want an ISO certified lab and certified in the test that they're doing. You want it to be comprehensive. You want it to have a lot number that matches the lot number of your product. So you know it's not just a sample. And then it should be easily accessible. You shouldn't have to email the company. There should be, for example, a QR code on your box. You scan it mm -hmm. and you can see it. You shouldn't need to have a chemistry de degree to be able <laughs> to read it and understand it. And that is the best example of companies who are doing it right. But that's a lot of responsibility on the consumer side. So I say just go to a pharmacy. And the you brought up one thing, the QR code that's on there. What a wonderful idea that was. And for us, yeah. we know, yeah, we know what labs to look for. And like you said, there are some that'll just say, oh yeah, I'm, I'm Hamoush lab and this is CBD, go. Some of the labs are actually incorporated at the exact same address as the manufacturer. Isn't so that interesting? Go. Yeah, it's weird how that happens, yeah, right? Yeah, so, so um, it's convenient. We have a couple of brands at our pharmacy that we like to keep. Ananda is one. They're, they're one, of the, one of the larger ones. Do you have any brands that you like, Alex? Of course I like Ananda. Of course, of course. And... I like Green Roads. Oh, that's what we keep. I love Green oh, Roads. There you great. go. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're headquartered here in Texas. So it's really cool to be able to oh, be super close to them. Yeah. Yeah. And um, one of my other friends started one here right outside Dallas called Corgenics. That's really good quality. But I think oh, I've those, heard of that, but I have not. Uh, those are only in doctor's offices. You can't get oh, those anywhere else well, in doctor's there offices. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool, man. And just to reiterate our point is that there's going to be false information no matter where you go. And making sure you have someone like your expert pharmacist or Alex on social media where you can reach her. Do you want people to reach out to you on social media? Sure. All right. Where can they find you? Just so we don't. Just Alex.Capano. There you go. I Alex have a Dr. Alex Capano page, but to be honest, keeping up with two accounts, this is my life. Just go to my bigger I, one. I wish I'm about to hire someone to just take care of all mine because between my personal, this podcast yeah. and Stonebriar, too much. Way yeah, too much. too much. Yeah. Delta 8. Love to hear your thoughts on it. I would love to hear it. So Delta 8 is, from a legal standpoint, in case anyone who's listening is wondering, it's really murky. So federally, Very. if the Delta 8 is derived from a hemp plant, it's legal. And there was actually, I think the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals made a decision about a year ago. Mm -hmm. It didn't necessarily say the products are, but it said Delta 8 itself, if it comes from a hemp plant because of the farm bill, it's legal. Mm -hmm. Now, from a state level, it varies considerably. Some states have said Delta 8 is absolutely illegal. Others have said it's fine. Others haven't made a decision yet. So while it may be legal on the federal level, you don't know from the state. Delta 8, some manufacturers are, and I don't know really who those are, are probably doing it well and doing it clean in a clean manufacturing facility. They're doing the right tests. I think a lot of them are not. Yeah. The barriers to market essentially don't exist. So mm -hmm. people can, and there have been, there was one researcher, I believe in Massachusetts, who evaluated about 500 Delta 8 products and found that almost all of them were contaminated. Really got to be careful. CBD is a lot better than that. And the other thing I see about Delta 8 is that it's marketed as similar to Delta 9, but don't worry, it's so chill. There you go. Yeah. You can get all the coziness and euphoria, but without any of the paranoia. And that's not that's exactly not true. true. It's I can attest to you, true. that's not true. I yeah. know it's not true. It's not true because it's just a weaker form of Delta 9. 
Right. That's all it is. So it has less potency for the endocannabinoid receptors than Delta 9 does. So all you got to do is use more and you yeah. can 100% get paranoid and have all of the other, the cyclic vomiting, the negative side effects that come from too much THC. You can get that with Delta 8, not to mention the contaminants. And some of these products that I'm seeing in stores, for example, there's a bodega, a corner store. Bodega, non, wow. Okay, Non-northerners. Okay. Non yeah. Texas, don't know that word. All right. So a corner store by me sells these Delta 8 products and they have these gummies that are like 200 milligrams each. And okay. it's it, that is too much. Way too and much. I was in there once and there was an older gentleman in there, looked like he was some sort of laborer construction. And he said, I want something for pain. I don't want opioids, but this made me crazy. It made me really, I really didn't like how it made me feel, but I want something to help. And it's like a teenager behind the counter. And they said, of course. oh yeah, take this. And it was the 200 milligram. And I said, excuse me. No. <laughs> and I just said, let's start with the much lower ones. I'm sorry, yeah. I don't work here, but this yeah. is what I do. And so I worry about that. The lack of reality and the overhyped marketing that it's completely benign. It's not. It is weaker than Delta 9. And for people confusing it with CBD, because mm -hmm. CBD won't intoxicate you, Delta 8 will. Mm -hmm. And that's if that's what you're looking for and yeah. you find a pure Delta 8 product that is really been manufactured and you're careful and with your dosing, mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that, but I think the way that it's hit the market and the lack of education around it is a public health risk. Mm -hmm. You don't know how strong it is. You take it, you drive your kids to school. That could be a problem. Yeah, big time. Yeah. And we, I know earlier we touched on the stigma and then I feel like unfortunately, a lot of these times when you're able to get a CBD product from a gas station versus from a pharmacy, that kind of contributes to that negative stigma a little bit. And it makes it harder for people like us when we're trying to educate the right things to do, where it's just so easily accessible. So there has to be some sort of regulation involved there like i know some i'm waiting for it yeah we'll waiting see. For it. let's so tell us a little bit now about what you're working on now i am working on primarily the use of cannabis in gynecology so i actually just got a few patents granted Nice. And Heck that's yeah. really exciting because I can actually talk about this now. It's oh, yeah. So under lock and so key. Is say this an exclusive for a sports pharmacy podcast? Definitely. Yeah. Yes. Finally, yeah. my first exclusive. Let's uh, go. <laughs> so I've been doing work for several years with University of Newcastle, actually, in Australia, and a brilliant researcher named Professor Pradeep Tanwar, who's a, a reproductive biologist. And we have been looking at primarily CBD, but cannabis in general for endometriosis, ovarian cancer, endometrial cancer, and other gynecological conditions that are unfortunately quite common and on the rise, even just period pain. And the results initially a few years ago were better than anyone anticipated that we've now extended this, filed patents, just had them granted, filed nice. a few more. So what we're finding is safer alternatives to pain medication for gynecological disorders, things that don't just treat the symptoms of pain, but actually treat the underlying cause and alternatives for cancer treatment, cancer treatment that we really haven't made a lot of progress on in the last 40, 50 years. And five years survival rates are abysmal. And we are looking at it as a monotherapy, but also as an adjunct to chemotherapy 
in using less chemo and getting a better result and therefore reducing the toxicity in the body and preserving healthy tissues. So we're certainly a long way from bringing that to market, but we have very solid data that has been repeated and repeated, and we're just going to continue to take it as far as we can and look into partners. And we're really, it's, it would be pretty cool. That would be be pretty cool. That's the impact I made. Yeah, that's pretty legit. My, my um, wife, I know my wife would love to hear this. We're going to see if she would listen to my show and see if she brings this up to <laughs> this me. This will be so, the test. Yeah. This will be the test. John, if you're hearing this, listen. <laughs> I love her dearly. You know how it is. Yeah. But uh, that's cool. That's really interesting, man. And I'm happy that we're able to find more uses for a medication or a, a product that I feel like could really help a lot of people. As, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. But you've mentioned opioids. And that was actually the first study that I did with Ananda. And I'm still passionate about that. Unfortunately, I don't think your story is that unique. I have the same story. And I think a lot of us do because it's just so pervasive. And I just don't know why we're not doing more. Again, I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of money. And even in this particular first study that I did, a participant who declined to use the CBD, I said, that's fine, but why? He said, I'm afraid it's going to work. And then they're going to reduce my opioid prescription. And then at the end of the study, I'm not going to be able to pay for it. And I pay $5 Mm. for my Percocets. So I'm access is an issue. And there's just a lot of it's more complex, but Mm -hmm. we still, we need options and we need better first line options. And within this study, it was 100 participants. We followed them over just two months. These were chronic pain patients. And we gave them Ananda soft gels. And they, on average, only took two a day, which is 30 milligrams. It's a low dose. It's a reasonable dose. I see that dose in real world practice very often. But in, in most research, that's not evaluated. They go really high, which isn't necessary. And we saw over half of them reduce their opioids voluntarily. And they'd been on opioids for years. And over half of them reduced their opioids and their pain scores were better. So they were using fewer narcotics. Their pain scores were better, statistically significant. Their sleep scores were better, statistically significant. And their mood was improved. It wasn't significant. I think my hypothesis is because we went into winter. Of course, it always happens. <laughs> you know, always, um, always. They were still feeling better, and a lot of them got off of. We were measuring opioids primarily, but we looked at other medications. A lot of them reduced or eliminated benzos wow. or sleep medications, which are much more dangerous to use with yeah. or stop yeah. drinking alcohol. That is near and dear to me, and I think there's a lot of really great researchers at different academic institutions. For example, Dr. Kent Hutchison at University of Colorado are doing really great research looking at alternatives for pain and chronic pain, but also options for opioid use disorder and using CBD yeah. for that. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm, I'm one that's, I've struggled with anxiety thanks to pharmacy school. I'm pretty sure that's how it all mm-hmm. started, of course. And I, I have a product that I use that I take every night that helps me just, just level out as a business owner, everything shuts off to slow things down. So I, I can definitely attest to, I don't want to use benzos because I, I feel like I just turn into a zombie and mm-hmm. found really good help with CBD. Me too. I used to 
refill my benzo prescription that i yep. also got in grad school for the first of course time. it's weird how that is. i know it is yeah. and i just it's like i it's expired you yeah. know that's awesome that's really cool yeah. by no means are we wanting to eliminate we're not making recommendations any questions you have please reach out to your doctor reach out to your pharmacist right. so we just got to make sure we put our disclaimer out there similar doctor, to opioids benzos also have their place and oh, yeah. when used appropriately can be really great oh, yeah. they've gotten yeah. a bad rap for other reasons yeah have you you know about benzo use for alcohol withdrawal too of course I mean, yeah, yeah it can one. be life-saving right oh yeah yeah alex anything else we want to talk about man it's floors okay so actually i was really excited for this podcast because i feel like it's so timely right now to talk about challenges that athletes have with cannabis the access to cbd that's yeah. hemp-based and legal federally and at a state level as well and how it affects them. We talk about really great alternatives, adjuncts, ways to reduce opioids more effectively, but the a lot of the governing associations haven't caught up with this. We think about Shikari Richardson and it's like, cannabis did not make her run faster. No. This is, these are not <laughs> steroids. This is not something that is a performance enhancer. And yes. athletes are really at a disadvantage with mm -hmm. this stigma that we talked mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. and with organizations that aren't up to pace. Tara Davis Woodhall, she just had her national title stripped for long jump. And I'm like, cannabis did not make her she jump. Make her, she she can't float. You, you may know, feel like you want to float. It, you it don't float. can make some people high, but it's not going to make you yeah. jump higher. And then Brittany Griner, who thankfully is home now from Russia, but was arrested. And that's not the sports organization. That's different. But it, to me, it's really a shame and it's a disservice to the athletes who are the only way that these organizations exist and create jobs and create an economy that they are not able to access cannabis and sometimes even CBD to help them, but they are allowed to access much more dangerous yeah. options. And I think we have a lot of work to do there in, in protecting our athletes at the professional level and the collegiate level yeah. to, to give them alternatives where they're not going to have a dependency and potentially an addiction. And I've talked to specifically folks in NHL and and NFL who talk about post-concussive yep. syndrome and big one, big one. They, they, there's some good animal evidence. We're looking into it with humans. We don't know for sure yet because these research studies take a long time, but in animals, we see that CBD can actually preserve the degradation of neurons and protect the brain from that neurodegenerative disease that just gets worse and worse over time. So if this is something you can take, not to just slow the progression, but even prevent it, why wouldn't you give that to your Absolutely. athletes? Which I just feels a little bit like, is it gladiator or something? You like know, the, the, like we're sacrificing our oh, athletes. I see what you're saying. For our entertainment. For our entertainment. And then, and this is one of the ways that we're choosing not to give them the best options that maybe they don't want to use, but if they do, they should have that. It's a little barbaric to me. And I just, I want our athletes to have access to all the options without losing their livelihood and losing the career they've worked so hard for. 
And man, I really appreciate you saying that because I have our Frisco, we have the the star, which is the center for the Cowboys and to, and it's a performance hospital too attached yeah. to it. So, I know. I'm like, sorry, yeah. you mentioned the Cowboys. I'm, I'm not a Cowboys fan. Okay. Don't you worry, okay. man. Don't you worry about it. <laughs> sorry out there, Dallas fans. But <laughs> most of my listeners are on the East Coast. Like oh. actually, Phil, Philadelphia is one of the, one of the biggest, one of, one of the, hey, had the most subscribers. So I was like, oh, that's cool. Sorry. So yeah, going back, especially post-injury when they're going through recovery, mm-hmm. a lot of times there's some really good CBD and cannabis products that kind of help with recovery and to avoid opiate use. THC is going to be a better antinociceptive. And so what that means for the listeners is it reduces your perception of pain, exactly. right? Similar to what opioids do. It has some anti-inflammatory effects, but they're not as great as CBDs. CBD is not going to be as potent as an anti-nociceptive agent. So it's not going to blunt your perception so much, mm-hmm. a little bit, but it really reduces the inflammation that's actually causing the pain. There's room for both. There's certainly room to use both together. CBD protects against some of the risks of THC, like that paranoia I talked about. Yep. But yeah, they both have a place. They do different things. CBD is just, there's very limited risk with yes. it. Yes. Yeah. Definitely lower than alcohol and oh, pain medication. Yeah. And yeah, we'll leave it at that. Dr. Alex Capano, A-L-E-X dot C-A-P-A-N-O. You can find her on all social medias. She better be following me after this. I got to double check to make sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but man, it was so nice to meet you. And thank you for coming on the Sports Pharmacy Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. Good, I appreciate you. Alex thank Capano, you. thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, consider giving us a five-star review anywhere that you get your episodes. Follow us at Sports Pharmacy Pod, as well as me, your host, at Dr. Mixalot. Join our Discord server for more interactions with me and fellow listeners. As always, stay well, stay hydrated, and I will catch you next time.